Small business financial services are only 1% finished. Our latest research examines the jobs to be done and cultural insights on what U.S. business owners need and the digital services that will help them meet their goals. Download the research for free by heading to bit.ly forward slash digital SMB. That's bit.ly forward slash digital SMB, all lowercase. Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. I'm Sam Mall. It's my pleasure today to be joined by Arlen Hamilton, the founder and managing partner at Backstage Capital. Let me tell you how I first became aware of Arlen. So I was flying from JFK to London. Um, I always grabbed you know, a couple of books, maybe a magazine or two to read. And this was around September, I think, of 2018. And on Fast Company, um, Arlen was staring back at me. And when I went to the profile piece on Arlen. This was the headline, Memo to the Silicon Valley Boys Club, Arlen Hamilton has no time for your bullshit. I fell in love with Arlen uh, based off of that interview. Arlen, I am thrilled to have you on the show. Hey, thanks so much. That's that's probably uh, one of the, the coolest setups that I've heard. <laughs> no, here's the thing I like the best, and, and tell me if I'm right on this. You were the first non-celebrity black woman to be featured on the cover of Fast Company. That's correct. That's and it's kind of shocking to me that that's the truth in the case. Hopefully, I won't be the last. Man, you know, you would think, you know, by now we would be well past that. But every now, every time I see an announcement like that come out, right? Like this is the first black female board member or the first whatever. You're like, seriously, it's 2020. But 2020 has been a shit show so far. So <laughs> I don't think we should actually yeah. be that surprised by that. Um, you actually have a book coming out and that's where I want to start is the book. We'll talk about your background and backstage capital and everything else, but the book is just cool because I've had a bunch of people tell me to write a book and I don't know if I can be bothered because of what it takes to do it. What was the experience been like for you? Well, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun actually. I, I really? have, a, yeah, I have like for the past couple of years, I've had this new mantra of that I stole from someone. I can't remember where I heard it, but it, it's, it's either a hell yes or it's a hell no. So if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. That's been super helpful. So I don't think I would have been able to complete the book or even go out and try to try to get it sold if uh, if I wasn't having a good time with it. And I think it's just because I feel like I had so much to say and to say it in a in a way that was all in the same place so that you couldn't um, misconstrue my meaning. You could try, but you, you know, it would be, I would say, okay, look at page four. This is what I think about that topic. And, you know, no matter what you've read or heard some, somewhere else, this is what I think about it. So that was helpful. And uh, it was also helpful to have my co-writer, Rachel, who is, lives in Nottingham, actually. She's oh, really? British. Yeah. Rachel Nelson. Oh. She's featured on the front, front of the front cover. And um, I've just known her for 15 years and she helped me organize so much that uh, I just I can't see doing this without her, or I don't think it would have been the same without her. It would have taken longer, and it would have been harder for me to to understand what order to put it in, et cetera. And she also advocated for the reader. So if there was some jargon that I had picked up over the last few years that I was, you know, I try to do that anyway. I try to really break it down and be that bridge anytime I'm talking. But um, every once in a while, she would say, "I don't, I don't know what a cap table is. I don't know what that is. So if I don't know what that is, you know, how can you break that down for the reader?" 
So the book, I, I love that you say anybody can misconstrue what I'm saying. Um, if, if you are misconstruing or Ireland saying you're not listening, I think that's a nice <laughs> way for me to put it. So the name of the book is about damn time, how to turn being underestimated into your greatest advantage. She actually has a website that it's about which I can't believe that URL was available for one. And, uh, I'm jealous. And, and so to give everybody a preview of this book, I'm going to read a couple book reviews for you, Arlen, um, by some, you know, uh, people you might not have heard of. So the first one's Mark Cuban. <laughs> Hamilton's story. I love this. Way to go, Mark. Hamilton's story speaks to all the would-be entrepreneurs and dreamers out there. She brings a unique perspective that has enabled her to see opportunities that others cannot. Her message is simple. Those of us who are different can rule the business world and no one can stop us. So there's one. Here's the other review I absolutely loved. Uh, this is by Stacey Abrams. And if you don't know who Stacey is, you're not paying attention to politics right now. She's a potential vice presidential candidate on the Biden ticket. A hero's tale. That's a, right there. You should just stop. That That's fantastic. <laughs> a hero's tale of what's possible when we unlock our potential, continue to search for knowledge and draw on our lived experiences to guide us through the darkest moments. There's there's reviews by um, Jamele Jamal, the actress from uh, The Good Place, who I love a bunch of folks. That pretty much sums it up. I went out and read reviews on Amazon and, and Goodreads and everything else. You're killing it right now. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to those reviews and especially Stacy. She was very adamant about reading every single word before she sent her review in, which doesn't really happen. Usually they can look at a proposal or synopsis of it um, and they'll be okay giving a review. But she was like, no, I'm reading every single word. So it took a little extra time. And she came back with that. And I'm like, I'm so, so grateful. Uh, she's a real one, you know, and then, and then to hear it from the readers themselves, uh, has just been incredibly fulfilling and, um, yeah, it's just been a really great, great experience so far, which I, I, I hear a lot of authors, like they gave me a lot of these like horror stories that I was going to be preparing. I was preparing myself for, uh, so far so good though. I've, you have, um, I love authors, right? I've had the chance to interview like Tom Peters, um, and you know, he's been doing this since like the eighties. Um, and their feedback is always fascinating because when you do as much as you do, we were joking right before this started that you've been doing a podcast, what it feels like every uh, two minutes right now with the book tour and everything coming out, you speak a lot, you're a brand ambassador for backstage capital that you helped found. Um, so your, your days are filled. How did you find time to write? I'm always curious about that. Sure. And I, I want to make it very clear that I may be a brand ambassador for Backstage, but I'm completely working on Backstage every day of yeah. my life. That's one of the things I wanted to make sure that the book uh, got across, that I would have liked to have become a brand ambassador only because I was sort of overwhelmed. But no, every single day work on this fund, and I'm very happy to do so. So it was even more work than you imagined. It was, I don't know. I mean, we turned it in early. <laughs> so what's I think wrong with you that's, that's your I first book <laughs> yeah, you like, yeah the publisher has been very surprised all along the way here it I just I just think that it, it's very authentically me it's like what I feel it's there was no um pressure and there was no faking anything so I didn't have to come up with what I was going to say I just it just kind of flowed and and it was very conversational and exactly what I wanted it to be. And, and again, having Rachel there to help organize, um, that's that's the, the part that helped me with my schedule because she was able to really 
keep that in line. But and then the and the the editor uh, at at the publisher was very helpful with their. They were super fast on their feedback. So that was another thing I had heard that you're going to have to wait months or weeks to get feedback, and it's just going to be this bottleneck. And I guess uh, I just lucked out with with uh, editor. So I'm going to give folks uh, a taste of this. Here's here's what I love about the book, and this is what I've read in the reviews. Um, it comes across as incredibly authentic, and and we'll talk about Arlen's backstory uh, a little bit. Um, but it, it can't, you know, the, the reviews have constantly said, "Man, and this is somebody writing that I can associate with," because um, you know your your backstory is just so cool. Because we're talking about, we already talked about you being the first non celebrity black woman on the cover of Fast Company. Let's just take this even further. You were the first non celebrity black LGBTQ minority probably person who was um, homeless for a little bit of time, venture capitalist, startup, indie band touring. Uh, <laughs> I'm running out of stuff to put on the cover. You got way too many categories. So your life experience is incredible. So here's a couple chapters. I want to ask you a question on some of these. So the chapters of the books are the best music comes from the worst breakups. That sounds like it should be a song on Soundland. It's a great line. Let someone shorter stand in front of you. I'm five foot seven. Amen. Uh, the dangers of hustle porn. We're going to talk about Silicon Valley bros in a minute. And here's the one I love. Don't let anyone drink your diet Coke. What the hell were you talking about there? <laughs> well, well, you'll see in the book. Well, it is a story. <laughs> it's will. a story yeah. about me encountering uh, a guy named Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah. Um, and, and we both enjoy a good diet Coke and he, he thought, that mine was his and that wasn't going to work for me. So I let him know <laughs> very politely that. <laughs> Can you tell everybody who Jeffrey Katzenberg is for our folks in Europe? Well, he has a storied history um, in, in entertainment for uh, one of the things uh, he's done a bunch of stuff, but one of the things that's easiest to kind of uh, relate to is he was the person who came into Disney and, ha and, and made their animation arm what it is. So he brought in the Lion King and every, every kind of, major anim animated series that you know um and then he left that and he's been a bunch of other things and today he is the founder and ceo of quibi which uh time will tell how that goes but uh he's yeah a, wouldn't you think it would be much bigger with the the shutdown you know that yeah I mean, there's Quibi's a whole bunch there fine. i've been yeah, yeah i've been is. talking a lot about it there's a whole much bunch to unpack there yeah. i what i will say about quibi this is just my opinion i will say uh, I, it's unfortunate that it hasn't done as well that I, as I thought it would, but I would say don't count it out just yet. I agree. Don't count right. it out just yep. yet. 100% agree, right? Video is is king. I mean, we know that. And, you know, we're two months into a lockdown. Um, Netflix, Disney Channel, everyone else is struggling with content. That, that quick form content that Quibi is going after, I 100% agree with you. I, I wouldn't discount it just yet. Yeah, exactly. So – a great, I love that. Don't don't let anyone drink your Diet Coke. Those are the type of chapters you're seeing in the book. It's incredibly good advice. Um, book's doing incredibly well, um, by the way. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. So so let's get, and I'm only going to touch on this briefly because every interview you do, I know, starts here. And um, if you want more background story on this, go read every interview Arlen's ever done. Um, it's a compelling story. So in 2015, you were on food stamps. You are sleeping on the floor of San Francisco Airport. Just had your laptop, a dream of breaking into venture capital. Um, fast forward a couple of years, you did it. So everybody, it's an incredibly good backstory. There's a million interviews about it. And it is now 2020. And I can tell you Arlen's doing well. Okay. 
Um, and it is, and again, I don't want to uh, discount that story because trust me, it, the movie will be great. I already know who should play you too, by the way. Who's that? Ar- who, who would play you in a movie, Arlen? Let me ask you, who would you pick? I, I once talked to Queen Latifah and we, we both realized oh. she's, ten, she's 10 years older than I am, but um, she said she'd try to make it work. <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm Tessa, joking. No, joking. Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson. Really? Why do you Why do you say that? Um, she doesn't put up with shit. She yeah. is a great actress. Um, she'd need to be playing you a touch, or you know, someone needs to play you a touch younger. So Tessa, I'm yeah. giving her the shout out. Uh, yeah. Um, she was great in Westworld as a, I think the word is boss bitch in a good way. Um, I think Tessa's strong enough to pull it off. So oh, there she's you go. absolutely. I mean, she's more than strong. But I, I love her, and I've actually tried to. Uh, we, we know a few of the same people, so I think that would actually be possible. The problem is Tessa is very thin and gorgeous, and uh, I'm not. Denied. I'm not thin and gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 gorgeous, but I'm not thin. So yeah. to me, no. But I'm not a self-deprecating person. I'm not saying it from that point of view. What I'm saying is, I think I should be represented by someone who is heavier. That would, that's why Queen Latifah to me was really great. Uh, I don't think someone like an Octavia uh, would work. That, that yeah. would be too on the nose. But I, I do – what I would love to see is someone who is, who is over 200 pounds and who is kind of – has that because that, that's a part of my identity that is very real and very part of my life. And I, I, I don't – I don't mind it. <laughs> you know, it's not like yeah. it's something I'm ashamed of. So I love that. For, I love that for if, um, if, if it were just an adaptation of my life and if it wasn't like a bio, a biopic, right? So yeah. if it was an adapt adaptation, she would be amazing. I think that's a great, uh, where did, how'd you get there? Where, what were you think? I was, you know what? This sounds so stupid. I was watching her on Westworld, the new season of it. And I literally went, Oh man, I could see her playing Arlen Hamilton. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Honest to God, man. I just looked at her. I was like, yeah, because of the, the, especially when she was uh, playing the the CEO of the company, right? In, in that That's role. Interesting. Um, That's interesting. So there you go. Yeah. There's there's some feedback. I think you should keep her on the list. Queen Latifah, everybody. I grew up in Detroit um, in the 70s and 80s. Um, incredibly underrated rapper and uh someone who changed yeah. in industry by the way you kids today just know her from acting uh she's she's a queen for a reason um, we'll just put that out there and get that out of the way so arlen let's let's talk a little bit about the concept though for backstage capital because this, this is part of your story you've always had an entrepreneurial spirit you grew up in dallas i love the story about the fact that you had some norwegian pop punk group that you liked and so you became uh, a manager for them on tour. What was the name of the band? Golden Boy. Uh, yeah, they're from Norway. They still exist, but they're um, it's different. <laughs> it's different now. But they, uh, yeah, those are my boys. I mean, so you did that. You you helped manage uh, arena level tours for like Jason Derulo, Tony Braxton, and Kirk Franklin. There you go. I love Kirk Franklin. Yeah, back in the day. So yeah. to go from too. that, how do you go from that though to venture capital? Well, yeah, so I had worked my way up there, too. I mean, it wasn't like I was doing anything glamorous in those jobs. It was very much so the production side. It was, I was an, I've been an an assistant for most of my life and, and, uh, but always had this high standard of being the best, the best, the best of whatever I was doing. So I worked my way over a decade from working with indie artists to arena level artists. And um, I really thought that I was going to do that for the rest of my life. And then 
um, and and hopefully become you know a really high up tour manager at with, for the Stones or something to that effect. Right, that was the big goal. And I was when you're working on production, it's there's like no insurance, there's no job security. It's it's a very uh, interesting and, tr- and exciting career, but it's not very stable, which was perfect for me. <laughs> and then. <laughs> You know, but I was on the on the road, and then I was off the road for for weeks at a time. And this was, uh, I'll, I'm I'm 39 in 2020, and so this is about nine eight years ago or so. And I was off the road between gigs or between you know shows, and uh, I was just learning more and more about startups. So Airbnb, Warby Parker, this and that. And the reason I started they started pinging me as startups rather than these companies that I, that I just knew in the background was people like truly like Ashton Kutcher, like Ellen DeGeneres, Justin Bieber, uh, Troy Carter, who used to manage Lady Gaga, just people I hadn't, I had no, you know, relationship to. I was just noticing that they were making these investments in a place called Silicon Valley. And I, it was intriguing to me because, in my view, these people had really exciting lives. And what was this thing that was taking their interest? So I've always been hyper curious and uh, started researching and figuring out and reading more and more. And I said, "Wait a second! Wait a second! Startups? Okay, I get you know this feels like what I am. These, these entrepreneurs, I've always felt like an entrepreneur my whole life. Always felt a little bit of an outsider." And this is really speaking to me. So the the idea would be was like first was I was going to start a company, and I you know the very early part of this was I was going to start a company. I would I would either run it while I was still working on the road, or I'd go back and forth between worlds. And in order to start this company, I knew I needed to research and I needed to do exactly what I had just done with the with the getting the touring gigs, which was like reach out to a lot of people, research my butt off, and just be ready. And in that research is where I happened upon this information, this statistic, that 90% plus of venture capital, the capital that goes into these startups, for, for a lot of them, uh, was going to straight white men in the U.S. And I, I was like, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. And, I, and the very first people, I don't think people know this, but the very first people I reached out to to talk about this statistic were straight white men that I already knew. And they were the, some of the first people to tell me that was crazy. So, you know, I already knew it was crazy. It already didn't make sense. But they were some of the first people to say, what? I didn't know that statistic. That's crazy, <laughs> you know? And so they didn't have a lot of power, but they they understood what I was saying. And so I just flipped the script. I just said, you know, there's – I could try to go out and raise money. I probably could do it because I can hack my way into just about anything I put my mind to. But what next? What next? You know, what What happens next? Am I just out here one of a few of us who has succeeded and there's, there's this systematic situation going on? Or what if I can do something about the whole system? And even if, it, if I don't get to start my company, what if I can just bring attention to the, to the system, systematic problems? And that became um, a, a very strong draw for me and it became a calling after a while and I just kept going. So again, folks, let's play out the movie script. All right. We already know some of the starring roles. We know who's playing you young. We're going to go test. We'll bring in Queen Latifah a little bit later. But again, when you sell the movie rights, let me know. I want to be involved. But the story, 
is just so good because again, you grew up in Dallas, by the way, you look just like your mom. I'm going to go ahead and say that I saw a pic with you and your brother and your mom. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, just well, that's a compliment. Uncanny. That is a compliment. Your mother was beautiful. Um, uh, but growing up in Dallas, it's not like, oh, there you go. Uh, see again. Um, but, but I think the point is, it's not like you went to Harvard. It's not like you went to MIT or Stanford. And when you talk about, you know, the, these, these startups that are getting money, it typically is you came out of Stanford. This was a grad project that you were doing or MIT or Harvard, you know, I mean, um, no offense to Mark Zuckerberg, no offense to Bill Gates, but they didn't exactly come out of my neighborhood in Detroit, you know, where I grew up. Right. So this concept of raising money and having that, you know, and by the way, the statistics from when you first started um, getting into venture capital to today, it's still not a massive improvement. We have such a long way no, to go. No, not at all. I mean, not at all. Such a damn long way. It's about time, right? There you go. Great. About damn that's time. What, that's, that's, the next, that's the next phase is yes. It, that's exactly it. How, how did you, I'm curious, were you in Dallas or were you in LA when you, when you went to Silicon Valley? What, what, where were you at at the time? I was actually in Austin. So I had. Oh, good scene, by the way. Been, good. I spent a good. lot of, yeah, I spent a lot of time yeah. in Texas. So I grew up in Texas, so I'm always somewhere. So I wasn't really in, I grew up in Dallas, but I was in Houston. And then I went to Austin because I said, because I tried for so long in Houston to make something work and it wasn't working. And I said, well, at least let me be closer to what is a bustling uh, tech scene. And so I can just hop over to Austin and and be broke there (laughs) rather than be broke here in Houston. (laughs) And I did, believe me, I tried to, I I went to different uh, events and I tried to talk to, uh, because there's a lot of money in Texas and I I tried to uh, set something up there. And it's funny because now people from Texas are like, why didn't you ever, why didn't you start in Houston? Why didn't you start in Dallas? I'm like, oh, I tried, but they weren't hearing me. Right. Uh, so I went to Austin and, and, um, that's when I found out about the, the, the two week boot camp that was $18,000. And I had maybe $18 in my bank, maybe literally. You were, and, uh, you know, we, we had touched on it in 2015 when you went to San Francisco, um, and you've talked about this in other interviews, um, this concept of, um, you know, taking the chance to go there, but having a laptop and you need a place to live. And, oh, my God, we can dive into culture and um, wealth disparity in San Francisco um, to no end um, and talk about that. But um, you spent a bit of time living out of the airport. Is that right? Yeah, it's right. San Francisco airport. Which actually, when you think about it, makes sense. To some degree, I mean, they do. If I remember, you got Wi-Fi. Um, you do have some temperature control there. You do have places that you can can crash. I mean, it's never a recommendation to anyone to live under those conditions. Um, but I can actually see a, a thought process there. Yeah, there is definitely a thought process um, there, and oh, there's a lot there. So, yeah. A- there is. <laughs> There's no way to glamorize that or even make it part of a story. Like people definitely make it part of this sort of hustle story. And I just, that's part of why I wrote about the hustle porn in the book. It is, there's nothing good about it. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing that I wish, oh, I could go back and do that again. Or I'm glad that that happened because I have that story. Nope. Uh, B, someone actually, at least, at least one that I know of actually did this on purpose in LA to try to get my attention and became very stalkery and it was just not good. And I try, so ever since that happened last year, I try to be very clear with people and I've, 
it's just, it doesn't get my attention in a good way. It's very scary. And it's very, don't create that problem for yourself. It's horrible. It's but yes, there was a thought process there. Yes. It's actually disrespectful. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't think this woman is, um, I don't think she was well, so I, I don't know yeah. what she was thinking or not thinking, but we, we, we handled that. But that is, you know, I've seen some people make comments, you know, saying, I'll do whatever it takes to get an interview with you. I'll sleep at the airport too. And I just shut them down. Like, no, you won't. Not to get an interview with me. <laughs> you, you might do that for yourself, but if you don't have to do that, please don't do that. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's insulting to what I went through, but it's more, even more so it's insulting to people who actually have that problem right now, who have, I mean, there are millions of people who are, have housing insecurity and, and they, they are not, uh, it's not this vision that people have of everyone's on drugs and everyone's a screw up and everyone's this and that. It's, it's very much like, I think there are more women and children who have housing insecurity than any other group. And yeah, it's just, a, there's just a lot there to unpack. And, um, but when I, when I thought about it, I said, what I said to myself when I made the decision to do that, when I had nowhere else to go was I, I don't, as, as terrible as I think this is going to be, I don't think I can come back from sleeping on the ground. I don't think I'll like, I, I have so much resilience and so much, you know, I, uh, patience but I told myself and I, I knew that what I knew about myself was that if I became someone who had to sleep on the ground outside, I don't know if I could even with all my positivity could bounce back from that. And so I didn't want to put myself in the position to do that. So I said, what is any other option? And that's when it hit me like, wow, this airport is between Silicon Valley and San Francisco proper. There's a train that actually goes through the airport. There's food around. Even if I can't afford it, at least it's there. And it's before you, if you go to international terminal, it's before you go through to TSA. So all these things kind of came into place. And I said, I could, I, you know, I would be protected in a way at this airport. I didn't, I still couldn't figure out. Some websites were saying that it was illegal to stay there. Some websites were saying it wasn't. So I was just like, I'm just going to have to go for it. So yeah, it was, uh, it was something. <laughs> Definitely well, don't recommend it, but I do. I do recommend like s survival. I, I recommend that for sure. So we we have actually set the stage for the story. You can kind of I see the, the the screenplay coming together, right? So we got the hero's story, which when we come back after a break, we're going to talk about backstage capital. We're going to talk about what really kicked off as as a result of all of these life experiences that you live. So folks, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We are truly in uncharted waters. Looking to us for guidance. Nothing is more important than building trust right now. This will be the new normal. How can I help? Hear that? That's the sound of change. Right now, business leaders are rethinking, reassessing, and repurposing business as usual to deal with this new crisis. It's a global conversation Salesforce is having called Leading Through Change. And it's all about businesses working together to achieve one simple goal, help. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Learn more at salesforce.com backslash leading through change. This podcast is brought to you by Equinix. Equinix is the world's largest global platform of interconnected data centers, enabling fastest application performance, lowest latency, and a digital ecosystem for financial services. Its platform of over 200 data centers worldwide protects, connects, 
and empowers the mission-critical infrastructure for over 10,000 businesses. Find out more at equinex.co.uk. This episode of Fintech Insider is brought to you by MyTech. Combining the world's best forensic experts with the industry's most advanced technology, only MyTech delivers banking-grade identity verification with the highest possible assurance levels, massively reducing risk, fraud, and cost. Discover more at mytechsystems.com. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Arlen. So um, where we left off, you were, at this point, had, had made the jump. You're living in San Francisco. Um, you decided that you definitely have this entrepreneurial spirit, spirit, this startup spirit. So how do you go from that to venture capital? Yeah. Uh, well, when I went out to Silicon Valley, it was to attend this two-week boot camp for investors or wannabe investors at Stanford. And it was put on by an accelerator called 500 Startups. And it cost $18,000. I did all kinds of things to, to get in. I did a crowd crowdfunding to get like the first 3,000, which was cool. Um, very grateful for that and, and spent a lot of time on that. And then the rest of it, I just, I just negotiated my butt off. I said, you know, I can't do it all at once, but hey, I don't see very many people like me in this class. So, or, you know, signing up for this. So you probably want to figure out a way to make me, uh, in, make it possible for me to be in this class. So I got uh, that. And then I got a scholarship for, they were doing scholarships for women because they, they had all men signing up for it. So I was not, you had to not get nominated by three people. So then it became this whole thing of how do I, you know, who do I reach out to? I don't have a network in Silicon Valley, but I, I kind of found my way and, and was able to get nominated by three people. So I did, I jumped all the hoops that they put in front of me and, and was grateful that they in particular, uh, Stanford in particular, did not change the, the goalpost because that often happens. And so I was there. Um, and over time, Someone that I met there, so over from that was May of 2015, and by September 2015, I was able to convince this woman who is an angel investor and who still is, uh, named Susan Kimberlin, to invest in me. So she gave me the seed money, $25,000 seed money, to start the company, the entity, and then another $25,000 a little bit later in order to make my first investment out of that entity. And it was a very, you know, very minuscule start, but that's all I needed. It's all I needed to get going and um, just started kicking down some doors. What was the experience like at 500 Startups? Because you are right. I mean, incredibly well-known. That's kind of that Y Combinator, kind of the gold standard of this. How was your experience? Sure. Um, That's a heavy question just because (laughs) I don't know how far you want to go into this, but... um, the experience itself was great. The two weeks, I mean, it was just a two-week program, and, and it was about 30 of us taking this class, and most of them were millionaires or had family money, um, and I definitely was the brokest person there. 500 startups faculty, so like Beji Yang, for instance, fantastic. Um, what, what, why I'm hesitating is that I became friends with Dave McClure and I'm just yeah, so no, Dave, sad about Yeah, it is. That's a whole nother situation. story. Yeah, I was going to say Mike yeah, Seagal. Yeah. yeah. Mike Seagal at 500 Startups is a, is a friend. Uh, Dave. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's been unfortunate. Um, it, it shows that we're all human and we all definitely make mistakes. Um, and sometimes we make really stupid decisions. I think that's a nice way to put it. Um, which, 
I think it gets back. Here's my question for you, Arlen, because I, I am curious. Um, what do you think defines you as a person? I think that's, I'm, we're getting philosophical, but I can't help it because we kind of touched on it when we went to 500 <laughs> startups. What do you think defines you? Honestly, is it a, is Me it a single moment in time? One. No, I mean, for you, when you look at somebody, right, and to get the measure of a person, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you, oh. what, what do you look at the most? Oh, no, it's, it's definitely not a single moment in time. That would be, I agree. That'd be out, outrageous, outrageous. Yeah. It's not a single moment in time. Um, yeah, I think we might be going into some dangerous territory because yeah, we're going to tap dance we around it. We'll be good. Of this. Yeah, yeah, we we'll have different opinions of this, but um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not one. It's it's. I talk about reputation a lot, um, and and I have students that I talked about reputation a lot, and it's your it's it's a lot. It's your it's the sum of all your parts. I think. Yeah, and it, that means that it's like it's a lifelong thing, and that and that you it doesn't you don't get to like. M- make it and then you know at 30 or whatever and then you just skate you have to work at it every day uh that's at least my opinion about it i think of people um it's very very nuanced and very very layered for sure so i'm i'm curious so you're in silicon valley you've got, you've you've done this 500 startups you've you've met an angel investor you got your 25,000 seed money so let's talk a little bit then about backstage capital and the concept for it. So if you, if you had a state, what, what was your mission in starting this company and, and what were you focused on? What I wanted to do was get more cash and resources into the hands of underrepresented founders. And we call them underestimated today. So to me, it was not a matter of becoming a venture capitalist or being having an angel fund or this, whatever you were calling it. The semantics of it weren't really important to me. The the action and the results were really important. And after studying so many different routes, to me, it, w- it made the most sense to go this micro fund way and at least get um, get at the table because there, the table stakes was just having being able to write a check. I could, I could write about it and I could point and, and scream about it on social and make viral blog posts, which I did, but nothing, nothing leading up to that took was taken as seriously at like as as writing a $25,000 check is as small as that may seem nothing before then was taken as seriously then it was like oh we have to listen because she's literally on the cap table next to us so we have to we have to listen and um so that was the idea was to was to just kind of come in and and shake things up a little bit but it was I wasn't doing it so that I I, I called it backstage for a reason. I wasn't doing it so that I would come in and, and get all this notoriety about it. I did it because I was saying there's like thousands of founders who are being overlooked and there's at least hundreds of them that I know personally that are being overlooked. So let's get them like in into the game here. Let's get them into the arena on the field, et cetera. And that turned into a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> uh, over the years. I love the story arc. So this is the wannabe writer in me, right? So you're you're working with these indie bands. You're working with Kurt Franklin. So you had the talent up front, and you were setting up these arena style shows, right? Backstage, you see where I'm going. I can't help analogies, man. I get excited when I think about this. But that story arc, and to do it now with this undiscovered talent, um, and and really, and and correct me if I'm wrong, right? We're talking about minorities. We're talking about um, women. We're talking about LGBTQT. I mean, we're talking about everything wrapped up in here for the folks that normally don't get 
the funding, that, that struggle even to get in the room in the first place. Yes. And I, the way that I started um, was I said, I can start almost anywhere here because there's so many others. There's so many like, you know, who are being overlooked, but I wanted to start with what I knew and I wanted to start with what I felt I could be the most impactful towards. And that said, well, let me start with who I am. And that's a woman, that's a person of color and that's LGBTQ. And that to me was like really helped me focus so much because it had taken a while to get there. And it made all, all the sense. So I was able to just really easily um, protect that and to and defend that when I went out. Because, of course, a lot of people had a lot of problems with it. <laughs> so I had to, you know, I, I was I was ready. And and you, it, it's fascinating because, again, the background story is so great. But what you've been able to accomplish so far. So can you name like give me an example of one or two of the companies that you've been able to do this, these, um, th- these investments in and what they've been focused on? Yeah. So we have, it's crazy to say it, but there's 130 companies now that um, we've invested in in the last four and a half years. About 10 million and so far, right? This is after, yes. And this is after okay. seeing thousand, like 6,000 or so companies. So we invest in only 2% of what we see. So we're still, we're probably around accelerator um, uh, metrics there as far as who we see. So I just want to make sure people know it's competitive. It's not like a, you know, give a black person a check day because my mom would be the first in line for that. Uh, so, and I would be the second, I would be right behind with a, with a hat and a mustache. Um, so it's not that, but yeah, there, there's so many companies. Um, Care Academy is a good example because it's very uh, important to what's going on right now with COVID. Uh, Care Academy is a upskilling and uh, certification platform for caregivers uh, across the country. And so they had already, yeah, I mean, they had already been really impressive and just below the radar to me. Like, I mean, to like, it seemed like they're below the radar, but they're really, really strong, uh, led by a black woman named Helen, just killing it, just really, really good. And then when COVID hit, they have just risen to the occasion um, they, as a go-to. I, I watched a couple of their webinars recently just kind of as an observer, and they just had some of the most uh, – some of the, the experts that you would expect to see come out of the CDC, you know, come out of a, a, a White House briefing. Uh, they had – because they have, they have so much respect in the field, and people are – a lot of people are looking to them. And then you think on top of that, they're now able to – be a place where if you want to become a caregiver or if you were forced into being one because maybe you're you're living with an older parent or you know you're isolated in that way you want to be helpful you don't want to send them to a to a nursing home in this climate um, and care care academy is right there and they are going to be you know it, I have been in rooms with Helen I have been in rooms with other founders where the first 45 minutes of an hour long meeting with an investor is her having to explain her blackness and her, and her womanness. And if she's even capable of running this company instead of the amazing thing that she's running. So that's one great example. I think they are going to continue to be really important right now. Um, and then curl mix is a cool example. Uh, it's kind of an easy one to imagine because I met them in March of 2017 and they were doing a little less than 10,000 per month mixing hair products for curly for people with curly hair all races um out of their out of their kitchen 
And this is a black couple in Chicago. And, you know, 10,000 monthly revenue that wasn't necessarily recurring is wonderful from my point of view, but it's not very venture backable. It's like, it's just a kind of good story and maybe it's good for an accelerator. And so they weren't really, they weren't getting any traction when it came to investors, but I just loved, loved, loved the founders. I just thought, man, you, to do what you're doing already is impressive to me. And I just, I know that it's going to be hard to help get more funding for you, but I just want to be part of this. So we, I became an advisor, official advisor, and then backstage invested in them, I think $50,000 that year. They were able to do so well that they went on Shark Tank, turned down $400,000 because the valuation was too low. Uh, this year, they've done like a total of like six and a half million dollars in revenue. They had a million dollar month, April of 2019, I believe. And and now they have a, a warehouse and, and workers and all sorts of things. And, and, you know, that is from you have to have an imagination. You have to think about things from a different point of view. They were not getting into rooms with investors. And the thing is, if the thing is, I've seen other people who have different profiles, who have even less traction than they have, get into the rooms. I've seen it happen. I've seen them get in, invested investments. So it's not like this thing that we're making up and saying that there's some sort of bias. It really is there. And part of my my job is to is to erase that bias and just get right to the heart of things, to the to the meat of it. The other part of it is to be very discerning. And hopefully um, we'll see over time, just like with any investor, we'll see how good my chops are. But um, I, I, have a, I have every reason to believe this portfolio will, will do well. So in a movie script, this would be called the third act, right? So you've, you've had the, the first act and the, the, the story of how um, you, you kind of made your way to Silicon Valley. The second act is up to the point where you are right now, the third act folks, I'm just going to flat out say, uh, I'm not betting against you. I'm not going to go anywhere near <laughs> that. I think the opportunities are massive. I'm incredibly excited. One to read the book. It's on order. Arlen, trust me. Um, I'm Thank an avid you. reader. Awesome. I can't, man, I can't wait to read the book. Um, I can't wait, uh, in a year or two to get you back on the show to talk about that third act and what's next and how these yeah. investments are going. Uh, so for our global audience, Where's the best place for them to, one, learn more about you besides itsaboutdamntime.com because I still freaking love that URL and I'm so jealous that I don't have it. Where's the best place for them to learn more about you and Backstage Capital? I have to say that that website is, the reason I got it is because it is a hub now for, for everything. Oh my God, it's so damn good. The, my podcast. And yeah. The, yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, I had to kind of argue with a couple of people. I said, no, it's a good idea to get it. <laughs> and they're like, you're not going to need it. I'm like, no, believe me. Um, but it's about damntime.com is like a hub for my podcast, Your First Million. Uh, you can learn more about Backstage there, about my life, and you can order the book there, uh, both in the U.S. and Canada and uh, U.K. And, and other countries in Europe. And um, if you go to backstagecapital.com, you go directly to our portfolio. And I think it's you'll, you'll, you'll understand all you need to know about me by looking at that snapshot of our portfolio and being linked out. It is... Uh, yeah, that it's it's my life's work, and it's just really exciting. I go to that. I go to backstagecapital.com when I'm feeling low, when I feel a little defeated. I go to the website and I look at, I look at what's been built, um, you know. And so I think that's a great place. And then I'm uh, pretty active, I should say, on 
Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Arlen was here. A-R-L-A-N was here. Twitter and Instagram. Well, as for me, you can find me at Sam Mall on Twitter. Um, always at 11FS, folks, on FinTech Insider Podcast. You take a pick. The morning shows, it feels like every day because it is every day on LinkedIn Live. Everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast. Review us on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. Make it five stars, people. Stick with five stars. It's a, it's, that's my recommendation. Pass the podcast along and subscribe. If you know someone who loves FinTech, who isn't listening to FinTech Insider, tell them about the show and tell them to go buy the damn book. All right. Um, get out there on Amazon. We'll have links. If you have any suggestions or feedbacks, please reach out to us on Twitter or email podcast at 11fs.com. Thanks for listening.